This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. On this day in 1992, Exxon Company International President Sidney Riso died in captivity, four days after being kidnapped outside his home in Morris Township, New Jersey. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Today, we're covering the tragic end of Sidney Riso's kidnapping. Over the course of four days, the 57-year-old oil company president was held captive without food or water. Let's go back to a storage facility in northern New Jersey on May 3, 1992. Only his two captors knew where Sidney Riso was and his rapidly declining condition as he lay on the concrete floor of a storage locker with duct tape wrapped across his mouth he could make no cries for help it was a harrowing entrapment the stifling room exacerbated Sidney's fragile health which was delicate after a heart attack 3 years prior his kidnappers ignored his pleas for aspirin. He needed to take it daily to manage his condition. With his hands and feet bound, Sidney was also powerless to tend to the gunshot wound in his arm. He'd been trapped within the storage container for nearly four days. He'd been given water before being sealed off, but no further sustenance since then. With each passing hour, his health plummeted. Somewhere outside his confines, Riso knew the kidnappers were trying to get a ransom for his release. Why else would they have abducted him? Three days before, when Riso set out for work after his normal routine of breakfast with his wife Patricia, he had no idea of the peril waiting for him. A nondescript utility van greeted him at the end of the long driveway, the door swung open just quickly enough for a man to yank him in. When Sidney saw a wooden box in the back of the van, the one he was being pulled towards, he fought back against his aggressor, at least until the man drew a handgun and shot Sidney in the arm. He fell limp with pain. After he was pushed inside the timber box, it was padlocked. The van sped off, leaving Riso's idling car and unclaimed newspaper in the driveway. Behind the wheel was a middle-aged woman, 45-year-old Irene Seal. Her husband, Arthur, was the one who'd trapped Sidney in the back of the van. But as they escaped, the Seals botched a critical part of the abduction. They didn't leave a message for Sidney's wife. There was no ransom note to indicate the amount of money they wanted, Without it, no one knew what had happened. 
why Sidney Riso, of all the wealthy corporate executives, was targeted for a kidnapping initially confused the authorities. Though he had been president of Exxon International for almost four years, during which the Exxon Valdez oil spill decimated the Alaskan coast, he certainly wasn't the stereotypical villainous oil tycoon. He didn't elicit the type of public hostility that many of his predecessors had. Riso and his wife Patricia were often commended for giving back to their northern New Jersey community. They even helped fund a soup kitchen. However, the abduction was far larger than Sidney. None of his goodwill or charity mattered to his kidnappers. In fact, he was simply the most accessible target. His status as an Exxon executive was a bullseye on his back. It meant Sidney was included on a list of names that Arthur Seal, the 45-year-old former security guard, created for sussing out possible hostages. According to the New York Times, Arthur Seal likely saw Sidney while he was working as a contracted security guard at Exxon's offices in Florham Park, New Jersey. However, Seal didn't remain at the company very long. He accepted a contract buyout in 1987. In the coming years, as money grew more sparse, the Seals started considering other ways to stay afloat. It was by studying other abductions that Arthur Seal created his spring 1992 plan. He was betting that the Exxon Corporation would pay nearly any amount to get Sydney back. So he and his wife Irene created a fake story that suggested an environmental terrorism group was holding Sydney for an $18.5 million ransom. However, since they forgot to leave a note when they snatched Sydney, his kidnappers would stumble blindly in the coming days as they tried to obtain the ransom money. And trapped inside the storage locker, Sydney's fragile health couldn't withstand even one day longer. Up next, we'll learn how Sydney Riso's kidnappers tried to escape their tragic mistake. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After kidnapping Exxon Company International President Sidney Riso from outside his New Jersey home in 1992, Arthur and Irene Seal realized just how fraught with mistakes their plan was. First, they'd forgotten to leave their requested ransom note, so they attempted a series of telephone calls to the Exxon Company demanding an $18.5 million ransom. How the SEALs landed on the absurd amount was arbitrary. They were operating from a place of sheer desperation. According to the LA Times, at that time the sum was likely the largest hostage demand in U.S. history. Unfortunately, the SEALs had a reputation for living far beyond their means. They had jumped from town to town, trying to set up routes in well-to-do vacation spots like Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and Vail, Colorado. 
However, the outcome was always the same. The towns were too expensive, and the seals departed quickly. By the time they returned to New Jersey in 1990, two years before kidnapping Sidney Riso, they were both unemployed. It was then, through desperate clamoring, that they hatched the abduction plan. Though Riso died on May 3, 1992, while trapped in the storage container, the SEALs would continue to bait Exxon and, unknowingly, the FBI for nearly 59 days in total. Arthur and Irene used written letters placed at various locations around New Jersey to communicate with Exxon in hopes of getting their money. They demanded that the $18.5 million be left in laundry bags and specifically be used bills. They were at least astute enough to realize new bills might have trackers attached. All the while, as Exxon cooperated with the FBI to try to track down who exactly had kidnapped Sidney Riso, his wife believed he might still be alive. Federal investigators weren't so optimistic. The situation had become one of the longest-running kidnapper searches in U.S. history, even surpassing Patty Hearst's kidnapping nearly two decades before. Through the language in the ransom letters, the FBI deduced the kidnappers weren't environmental activists. Though the writing claimed Sidney was being held out of the country, later letters contradicted this. It was a clear fumble. And most importantly, the FBI picked up that there was an incredible lack of specificity to the reason behind the kidnapping. Real activists would have laid bare their issues with Sidney Riso and likely Exxon if it was an act done for vengeance. Through interviews with Sidney's neighbors, investigators narrowed in on the white utility van lingering on the street that morning. They also suspected a blonde woman who had been jogging around the area recently. She certainly wasn't a neighbor. These clues, in combination with the continuing ransom letters and later attempted phone calls, finally brought the FBI to closing in on the kidnappers in late June of 1992. After connecting a gloved phone booth user to a suspicious rented Oldsmobile sedan, one team of agents tailed the car. They soon found it was leased the day before from a car depot in Hackettstown, the southern New Jersey town where Arthur and Irene Seal had been living with his parents. The agents followed the car, which led to the arrest of the Seals in the early morning hours of June 19, 1992. Both Arthur and Irene were charged with kidnapping, conspiracy, and extortion shortly after. Once the case went to trial, Arthur Seal pleaded guilty to both kidnapping and murdering Sidney Riso. While Arthur Seal continues to serve his 95-year sentence in a New Jersey prison, his wife Irene has since been released. After serving 17 years, she was moved to a halfway house in 2009 and served five additional years under Illinois probation. She took a plea deal and led police to Sydney's grave. But make no mistake, Irene was just as guilty as her husband.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more chilling stories of kidnapping, be sure to check out our ParCast original, Hostage. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mackenzie Moore, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.